0: Missouri Republicans are set to defend key statewide offices during next year's election cycle, including getting Governor Mike Parson a full term in office. Missouri Republican Party Executive Director Gene Evans says her party is well prepared for that effort. Evans joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking to give us a lay of the land in 2020 and how abortion legislation could affect the outcome. Let's hit the music.
1: Is as critical as anywhere else in the country.
2: I really want the state
1: to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working
2: together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money.
0: And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a political correspondent with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining us as our guest today in St. Louis... Gene Evans, the executive director of the Missouri Missouri Republican Republican Party. You know, I, I was doing some like cycling back in my mind and I was like, have we ever had an executive director of either party on the show? And we've had chair people like we've had John Hancock on the show. We had Todd Graves. We had Ed Martin after he had left as uh, Missouri Republican Party chairman, and we had Stephen Weber on, on the Democratic side. But I don't think we've ever had an executive director. Well,
2: Hancock was executive director years ago with I, Ann Wagner. I do know
0: that. And,
2: I, yeah, and people, some people don't know that Ann Wagner at one time was the chair person. And then Hancock was the executive director under her, and then in 2015 and 16, Hancock was the chair and Jonathan Prouty was the ED, as we say.
0: If you want to hear a a nostalgic story, when I was actually an intern for the Columbia Daily Tribune, and I believe this was in 2005, I went to a going-away celebration for Ann Wagner because I believe that she had just been appointed ambassador to Luxembourg. Wow. And I'm sure John Hancock was there, Mm -hmm. and I was like 20 years old, and I I don't remember anything else (laughs) other than what I just told you. So I I guess I'm just – uh, hitting everybody over the head with my uh, expertise just to show show that I can. Well,
2: I think sometimes you know a lot of people think of Ann Wagner as a congresswoman, and they don't realize her deep roots in the party. Like she's been doing this for a long time, and she has done everything from grassroots and door knocking and organizing to being executive director to being an ambassador. She's involved with the national party, so she's been very involved with the party for a very long time, and now she is, of course, our congresswoman.
0: So. You used to be in the Missouri House. Yes. I think you were there for about, I mean, technically two over two years Barely, or something. Right. And you uh, decided to step down to become executive director. For For people that don't know, what does the executive director of a political party do? Because, and this, again, is probably something that lay people don't know, like chairpeople of respective parties, and there's exceptions, like Stephen Weber was a full-time chairperson, and he got paid to do what he do, did. But oftentimes, the chairpeople don't get paid, and the executive directors are the people that do a lot of the legwork. Like run the thing, yeah. yeah.
2: So if you think of a nonprofit and you have an executive director there, that's a similar type of, of job. So I tell people I'm not allowed to have an opinion anymore, which is, yeah, that's hard to believe. I do have opinions, but the the party policy and things that we do come up through the state committee and the chairperson. So I don't direct... Policy. I don't decide who gets to run and those sort of things. And really, we have two missions. One, of course, is to turn out Republican voters and win seats for Republicans or maintain those seats for Republicans. And the other one has to do with a lot of constitutional stuff, which is really kind of boring, but includes maintaining the state committee, the state convention, handling the delegate selection process, all this stuff that we're getting ready for for next year. Uh, And then taking the delegates to the Republican National Convention in Charlotte. So I've got about half a dozen trips probably to Charlotte in the next eight months. And I just signed a contract to do the state convention, which will be in St. Charles, Missouri in 2020. Yeah,
0: That's great to hear. I don't have to drive to Sedalia or Branson or something like that. (laughs) I, I would imagine that the delegate process is a little easier when you have an incumbent president and... As of now, things could change. I don't think there's a serious primary challenger to Donald Trump right now. But I think it's more of a matter of, like, a lot of Republican activists probably want to be delegates so they can go to Charlotte and and be there, basically. Right.
2: And people – so I have some new friends that think that I get to pick those delegates, which I don't. There's a whole complicated uh, selection process that I'm not going to bore you with. But what I can tell you – and this is different than 2016 with Trump. In 2016, Trump was not the guy with the big infrastructure, the ground game, and the money. In 2020, he is so yeah. the the RNC ground game is incredible. So what the what we're working on with them, we have certain benchmarks and things that we deal with the national party, um, and. Whether it's an event we're putting on, or just things that we're doing across the state with all our grassroots people and all our committee chairs and all that across the state, it's pretty intense. But it's a it's a serious ground game.
0: And we're gonna hear from former Governor Blunt in a little bit. But one of the things that he mentioned during his Lincoln Day speech that I found to be particularly interesting, but also is very uh, perceptive, is that in past election cycles, Missouri was a was a fiercely contested battleground state, either for president for governor, for U.S. Senate, last cycle U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. 2020, it's kind of unclear whether, like, the Democrats are going to put in a lot of money to try to defeat Governor Parson or whether the other Democratic groups are going to try to win the down ballots. And there's no U.S. Senate race. There's probably going to be a competitive congressional race. But otherwise, all the other congressional districts are safe, Republican or Democrat. And while that may seem like a good thing, it means that you're probably not going to get the flood of national money and support that you would get if there was a competitive U.S. Senate race or gubernatorial race. Is that... That is
2: absolutely correct. So that's interesting you say that because that's been a story that we've been telling to folks that, you know, there's been millions of dollars have been poured in here over the years when we were a swing state and even last cycle with the um, Hawley election. So the Missouri Republican Party was on fire last year. We, they did a great job of turning out voters. Holly won. Um, but going into 2020, there will not be, for, as far as we know, th- there will be no national money coming in to, to help the president win in a state where he's plus 19. So th- they don't anticipate that we are going to be in play. I think the feeling is if Missouri's in play for the president, we got really big problems. But um, they are on the ground in some key states, but not here.
0: I don't think that Trump put in any money to win Missouri last time. But there was just an incredible amount of money for that open governor's race and for Candor Blunt. So that was kind of the exception. And as I just mentioned before, like, I don't see, like, the Democratic Lieutenant Governor's Association pouring $30 million to defeat Mike Kehoe. It just doesn't happen. And I'm not—again— I know that there's a couple of candidates who we may talk about in a minute who are thinking about running against Mike Parson, but they have to prove themselves and they have to showcase polling and fundraising ability before somebody like the Democratic gubernatorial association commits to pouring a lot of money to help them, especially when they have they have states that may be easier to win, basically. So, well,
2: know. we don't want to take our foot off the gas or take anything for granted, but we have a governor who appeals to a broad base of people. I mean, I, I think that Missouri is a center right state, and Governor Parson is a center-right candidate, and he actually visits a lot of areas that past governors have ignored, including um, urban areas on both sides of the state. He wants to work on infrastructure, he wants to work on workforce development, prison reform, a lot of things that have a broad base of appeal. So even a, a strong Democrat opponent has got to make an argument to a donor that they have a chance and that there's a compelling reason. Because right now, donors are saying, hey, we like this guy. He's doing a great job. He's not throwing bombs at anybody or causing any, you know, uproar. He's put this date on a steady path. And it's only been a year since Greitens left, right? And he's, like, forgotten. We've been, you know, it's been real steady. He's been handling the flood situation So I think it's tough, at least at the governor's race, to make an argument to a donor why they should donate to a candidate going up against a guy who's doing a fantastic job.
0: I mentioned former Governor Blunt, who served from 2005 to to the very uh, beginning of 2009. And he was, I mean, he was the first governor in a long time to be a Republican with a Republican legislature. Greitens obviously had the same thing, but... As you know, I think he squandered a lot of opportunity for various reasons we don't have to get into gory details about. And it seems like Parson has been a lot more successful in getting his agenda uh, through a Republican legislature. But this is what uh, former Governor Blunt had to say about a need to not be complacent just because you're in a good place now that you're going to be in a good place forever.
1: You know, I think Missouri has changed. There's as, they've, as Missourians have watched, um, Washington Democrats, they've uh, decided they don't want a, a part of that, and uh, it's become a more uh, Republican state. Um, but what the legislature and the governor do over the next couple of years has, you know, tremendous uh, impact on what happens in the election. And They have to demonstrate that they're able to work together and tackle big problems, and um, I don't know that Mike Parson needs any advice from me. He's, I think, doing just a, a great a great job. Uh, but My advice would be to continue to do what he's doing, which is maintain this strong relationship with the legislature, where he's constantly interacting with them, trying to identify uh, priorities that they have and that he has that they can work on together. Um, I think he is, is really doing it, and he's really done a great job. And as a Missourian, I'm grateful that he was able to really pull our state out of a uh, an embarrassing crisis and restore some credibility to state government, which I think he did almost immediately, given his uh, presence and persona.
0: One thing that Governor Blunt didn't mention is one of the things that he had to deal with when he was governor, and again, he had a Republican legislature, albeit with smaller numbers, is there was very strong differences of opinion between like leadership and gubernatorial directives and, I guess, more conservative members. Obviously, the political spectrum has changed since 2005, but it did seem like Governor Parson was going through some of the same things, even though he came out successful, especially with the workforce development piece. How do you think that uh, Governor Parson should kind of approach the next year to make sure that there is unity going into what will likely be his bid for a full, for, full, full, for, full, full term?
2: Well, we're working on a Republican agenda that you know we'd like to get everybody together. We've been we've been talking to leaders throughout the state about things that are important to them and try to get everybody, you know, on the same page. But I have to say, you know, we're a big party, we're a big tent. We have a lot of differences of opinion. We have sort of the Federalist side and then we have the more Tea Party side or the libertarian side. So there's room for everybody in our tent. But what that means is you're going to have a lot of different opinions and what Parson has been able to do is agree to disagree and find ways to work together. So instead of calling people names or throwing them under the bus or, or questioning their uh, their principles, their morals, or, or you know attacking them publicly, he's been able to say, "Let's sit down and work this out." So I think if you you talk to anybody in the legislature, they've been to breakfast with him, they've been in his office, they've t- sat down and talked with him and his staff. He hired some people from the building, like Justin Alferman, who knows everybody. And, and people who can sit down with a legislator, oh, and Robert Nodell, who worked with every House member, you know, running a campaign. So those relationships, he, his solution to differences has been, let's continue to solidify our personal relationship where we trust each other, and then we can make deals or f- work things out as opposed to fighting. And, and that's been the difference maker is he's able to, to f- strike compromise because he believes in building relationships.
0: I think the other thing that you as the executive director is going to have to deal with is we're in a very, I I would say it's unprecedented situation where a lot of the down ballot candidates, they're all Republican, but with the exception of Jay Ashcroft and including Mike Parson, um, they weren't elected to their position. So Mike Kehoe was appointed lieutenant governor. Scott Fitzpatrick was appointed state treasurer. Eric Schmidt was appointed attorney general. With the exception of Eric Schmidt and Mike Parson, like, Two of those four have never run statewide before, and they probably don't have super high name recognition. Even someone like Schmidt and to some extent Parson may not have as high name recognition because they didn't go through a high profile situation like governor, the governor, a governor's race. So does that present like a unique challenge of, of they're technically incumbents, but they're not really incumbents because of the way they came in office? Yeah, I
2: think it's definitely something that we talk about and we think about. But I, I think also they, they have great records. They're great people. Um, anytime you, you meet one of these guys, interact with them, they all work really hard. They're all over the place. Uh, Mike Kehoe had been into every single building that sustained damage in Jefferson City after the tornado came through. That's the kind of person he is. People know that. Um, the Probably the least known is probably Scott because he came out of the house. And so that's a smaller district. Um, he's been all over the state talking to people. And... He's got so much respect on the other side of the aisle. I mean, I, I think they may they may try to challenge him because he's the le- least known. But when you start talking to Democrats who've worked with him, I talked to Michael Butler yesterday. I mean, they have so much respect for the guy. It, it's hard to generate any excitement to run against somebody who you think is a, is a good and decent person is probably going to win. Mm-hmm. So so with Trump at the top of the ticket, we have a huge advantage just in general I've got great candidates in all these positions. So everything you're saying, absolutely, I agree with you, but I still think we're in a position to win.
0: And you mentioned some of the issues. Like what do you think are going to be some of the issues you'll be you'll be honing in on? And I, I, obviously there's always differences of opinion in either party about like how you approach things like education or, you know, a long time ago, you know, Democrats had disagreements over guns and abortion within their party. Like what are gonna be some of the things you're gonna you're gonna focus on next year as far as issues?
2: Well, I think the, the Governor, in particular, wants to continue to focus on infrastructure and workforce development. and those are two key things that we will continue to to work on. We've got to do some education reform. it's It's part of the Missouri Republican Party platform. It's a big deal. What that looks like, I don't know. I think the charter school thing is is difficult, but there are other things that we can do. But for people like me who live in St. Louis and have seen generations just shortchanged on their education, I mean, we, we put more money into education this year than we ever have before. We continue to do that. But you can't continue to do what you've always done and think you're going to get a different result. I mean, we've got major problems in our education system where we have three or four school districts that are supplying most of our prison population. That That's a problem. That has to be addressed. And how we do that is very difficult because we have opposing sides, but that's a really important thing to a lot of Republicans, particularly grassroots people.
0: Now, one of the things uh, Joe Manis and I like to talk about with party officials when they come on the show is the whole financial reality of what it's like to lead a party in whatever campaign finance system we had. Now, when there were no campaign finance limits, I think the parties were in many respects an afterthought because a lot of the money that would have gone to the party just went directly to candidates. There was a feeling that after Amendment 2 passed when you were elected to the House that maybe the parties would grow a little bit in importance. But I think what has happened is I don't really think it's changed that much. Just candidates have set up or uh, excuse me, candidates, supporters have set up political action committees that then basically do the same thing if they were just flowing to them. And I'm not really sure that has had any, any benefit, benefits to either the Missouri Democratic Party or the Missouri Republican Party. So, I'm interested as somebody who has to deal with this reality. Like, how does that affect how you are able to operate?
2: Yeah, it is. It is challenging because the party is sort of an afterthought, and people want to know where their money's going. That you know, they they start to believe in a candidate, and they can get excited about that. For a party, it's a challenge. I think on both sides. Um, we're not allowed to take corporate donations anymore in, in Missouri as a party. That is a huge challenge because corporations, and, and when I say corporations, I mean you know, the local Ford dealership, the local restaurant that might donate food for a fundraiser or um, host an event for you, they can't do that anymore. And so there are corporate PACs set up that donate particularly to candidates, but the, the local businesses that used to get behind candidates are prohibited from doing that, which I think is a travesty. Um, But that's the reality. And that used to raise a lot of money for the party and even candidates, particularly in rural areas. In the urban areas, we do have bigger companies and they have PACs, but you still have a lot of small businesses who can no longer donate. So I think it's a challenge on both sides. We are limited to 25,000 per person. So we do have a limit and there used to be unlimited. So you could find a donor or two to write you a huge check to support the party. That doesn't exist anymore. So I, I think you're right that it's a challenge. But I also think that there are a lot of things that we can do, you know, we can actually coordinate with candidates and PACs can't. And so if the party is strong, uh, we can support all the candidates through our infrastructure and we can coordinate. We can sit down with them. We can talk to them about what the issues are or, wh- or what problems they're having in different parts of the state. And we can help them there. And that's something that a PAC cannot do. So there are advantages that we have. And it's some of it's just educating people about what those are. But the fact that we can actually be on the ground – and the other thing is, I mean, I have committees in every corner of the state, from the city of St. Louis to the boot heel to, you know, northern – up by Nebraska, where I can push a button and send a note to every one of them. So – and I have relationships with all of them, and that's something that's hard for a campaign to do, to communicate with all those people. So if there's an event that's going to be in such and such county, we can get people there, get signs there, and get the word out pretty quickly because we have an infrastructure that's been built over years. And And I got to say, last year, you know, I was running as a candidate. I wasn't paying that much attention, but there was a lot of money poured in for that, for those races. But they did a great job of continuing to tap into volunteers and make them... If people feel like they're underutilized, then they quit volunteering. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we've got people all over the state that are ready to, to, to get to work and keep fighting for the party.
0: One area, you're, you're right, like 2018, for all intents and purposes, was a very successful year for Republicans. Like Josh Hawley won. Yep. You know, I don't think, I think there was, if you include Lauren Arthur winning to the Senate, that was like a plus one for the Democrats. Right. But it was basically status quo for mm-hmm. the legislature, which for someone like Elijah Haar was like a champagne like yeah, you he pop was the pretty happy yeah. which which <laughs> yeah. is weird to like it's weird to say like oh you didn't gain anything that's a success that's like an ultra success but the one area I think the Republican grassroots didn't do very well is ballot initiatives there were several ballot initiatives that clearly Republicans opposed minimum wage clean Missouri uh, I, I think there was the medical marijuana was kind of split I think Republicans yeah. supported that. And I, I did hear from like a couple of like committee people and grassroots people like they really didn't feel like Republican apparatus did a very effective job at trying to especially defeat clean Missouri. I think right. minimum wage was going to pass no matter what. But clean Missouri was seen by Republicans as like you have to kill this thing. And it didn't happen. So like they may come back up again in 2020 if the legislature puts it back on the ballot. But I think the real challenge for opponents of that, and by clean Missouri I'm talking about changes to the state legislative redistricting right. system, is it's going to be a difficult sell to tell voters, like, you need to undo something you just voted in. So, like, how, how is the party going to get involved in that, if, if at all?
2: Well, we'll see what happens if there's an, uh, something that comes through the legislature. We're not going to do any sort of IP ourselves. The party is not in the business of, of doing those, um, at least not in, in in any time in the near future, so we're not planning that K and I for the next two years. Um, if there's something on the ballot to, that deals with something that's important to our our constituency, that will be voted on by the state committee, and then we'll decide to get involved. I think with the, with regard to clean Missouri, so hard to explain. And then you you know what is it? It sounds great, right? Let's take away these handouts to. That's what it came across. We're going to take away handouts. So many people since then have said, if I understood fully what it was about, I would have voted against it. I think the number one priority for the party was to get Josh Hawley elected, and they were very good at that. And so um, being in this job now, I I can't even imagine what it was like trying to turn the vote out for that. So I'm surely not going to, you know cast aspersions Well, on, and
0: to be fair, and I, and I respect people like Jim Talent and Rich Krismer a lot, and I think they were involved in the anti-side. Yeah. My assumption is, and I don't know this for sure, they probably did polling, and the polling was not going to show it was going to be defeated. Well,
2: I also want to point out that tens of millions of dollars poured in for clean Missouri that came from out of state, and it kind of came up out of nowhere, and, and so suddenly you have some people like Jim Talent trying to m- mount an anti-campaign. And when you're going to donors and they're seeing that this this on this side, you've already got 10 or 12 million. That sounds like the great, greatest thing ever to a voter. Again, it's hard to raise money against something that looks like it's going to pass anyway.
0: Yeah. And, then, and th- that should be noted, even though I didn't really feel like the anti campaign was very effective, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's something that may come up in 2020. It may not. We'll just have to see. We'll be back after this short break with Missouri Republican Party Executive Director Gene Evans. And we're back with Missouri Republican Party Executive Director Gene Evans. I want to talk about an issue that's gotten a lot of attention recently, and that is abortion rights, and especially the legislation that passed at the end of the session that bans abortion after eight weeks of pregnancy and also it would ban the procedure nearly completely if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Um, I think every Republican, except for Shamed Dogan, and maybe I'm not sure. Did Mike Moon vote against that too? I, oh,
2: I, I don't. I can't imagine, but I don't know. I don't. I didn't know. look at the vote. I, I, I for some
0: reason his. I thought his name was in red for some reason. But my point is mainly all Republicans voted for this, yes. and it's pretty clear that. This is not happening in a vacuum. There are other states with Republican governors and Republican legislatures who are passing similar things like this. And even though we kind of have talked about this issue from a policy perspective and how it's going to affect, you know, policy, mm-hmm. I, I think even very stringent opponents of it agree that it has a political impact. And I think the people that really dislike this measure are hoping that. It elects more Democrats to the legislature, it helps with statewide campaigns. What what do you what do you see on the ground? Well, because I could also see it also for people that really feel strongly about this issue on the anti abortion rights side, this could be very energizing. So what what's your say Well, on I would
2: this? say that's true. And I think that it's a natural reaction to what we saw going on in some other states where um, they're talking about full-term abortion and things like that. There, there was going to be a reaction in a state where life is part of our platform and we have these majorities, and we were not going to go in the direction of Illinois or New York. It was going to be in the opposite direction. So I think politically, you know, people who got, were caught off guard by this had to imagine, if you really think about it, that after those things started happening, that there was going to be a response here in Missouri. Um, being pro-life is part of our platform, the, the the challenges for some people become when should those exceptions be, right? And so we have many people, including, you know, President Trump, uh, Ronald Reagan, and members of our delegation who have voted for exceptions for rape and incest. Now, f- through eight weeks, anybody, for any reason, can get an abortion under this bill as it stands. So the really, you don't have to have... Any other special reason through eight weeks, so it's not a complete ban. So I think that's a misnomer. Now, the political side, we're a long way from the election and a lot can happen. So it's hard to say how this is going to impact anything, but I think you're right. I think for our base, they wanted some action on this. They did not want to see the state going farther down the road that some other states have gone of allowing what are considered partial birth abortions or even to the point of full-term abortions, which is horrifying.
0: And and the opponents of bills like HB 126 would say those examples that you brought up happen when there's already a fatal birth defect, and it's basically giving the mother a chance to terminate the pregnancy inside the womb rather than outside the womb. I don't know if you've heard that argument, but I feel like I need to ask that because it's brought up a lot.
2: Yeah, and I it, it's interesting that... Um... I don't know, you hear a lot of arguments, and, and trust me, I've gotten my own death threats over this bill, and I know some of my friends in the legislature that themselves and them, their children have been threatened over this, and it's difficult when you're legislating about things that are so personally important to people, and for for our party, so many people feel very strongly that all moral, all morality kind of comes from the basis of the right of a person to human life and human dignity. And if you are um, sanctioning taking that life and ending that life at any point, then you've changed the complete moral fabric of the state. And I, I think that there's an argument to be made there. I, I don't disagree with that argument. And for those people, this is very important and is a step in the right direction. For people on the other side, I, I think that. They often make good arguments, but they often make ridiculous arguments. In my mind, being a pro-life person, I, I just have to say that. Um, but it, these are very like personal decisions. And really what it comes down to is, I heard a sermon about this once. so not to get too religious, but the sermon was, basically abortion comes down to the, the rights of who exceed the others. So do the, are the mother's rights and wants more important than the infant's? or the unborn child, or is the child. And for people who are pro-life, we feel like we need to speak up for that child because they can't speak up for themselves. And and that's the, the whole tenet, is protecting someone who has no one else to protect them. And I understand when you're talking about someone who's been victimized in some way, that people are very sympathetic to that and they, they want them to have some way out from, whatever consequences even though cuz those consequences were caused by a rapist right mm-hmm. not by that person but they also were not caused by the child and so for those of us on this, this side who you know I don't want to disqualify anyone who was who is here as a result of rape and there are people like that and I know people like that and I don't want to somehow make their life less valuable by saying they should have been aborted and i i don't want a, an unborn child to pay with their life however i do understand that legislating this is very difficult. We understand it. We have people who want exceptions and people who don't. They're all in the same tent, and we will continue to discuss those things. But politically, I don't think it's gonna have that much of an impact. I'll just be honest with you. I don't think it's gonna impact our elections that much.
0: Well, this is uh, Senator Jill Shoup, a Democrat from Creve Corps, who I asked about the political uh, response to this. Obviously, she was a big opponent of HB 126. And she was actually a guest on our podcast last week, and you can talk to you can listen her talk at length. But I want to play this clip and have you respond to it.
2: Well, a couple of things. First of all, we know that one in four women access an abortion in her lifetime. So these are not suburban or urban women. These are women throughout the state of Missouri. So women know what's going on and what they may need, or their daughter, or their cousin, or aunt may need at some point in their lifetime. So um, let's remember that. And then when we have a bill that doesn't Concern itself with with human trafficking, with rape, with incest. When we hear comments that rape is consensual, uh, I think that women are going to be outraged, and I hope that means that they will run for office and show up at the polls and vote for a candidate who has their best interests at heart. So
0: she represents St. Louis County, like you represented St. Louis County, and I think that there's an assumption that if there's going to be an impact that's going to be negative toward Republicans, it's going to be in places. Like what, where Senator Shoup represents and where you used to represent? Right. Are you seeing that? Do you think there's it's a possibility that maybe some? When we talk about suburban, I I, I hesitate to use that word because it's often used as a placeholder for St. Louis County or Jackson County when it's really more expansive. Yeah. But, but I could see it affecting that the near suburbs. What do yeah, you
2: think? Yeah. So I think so. It's not, it depends on I answer to the question if if people are pro life or not. So I talk to people who say they're pro choice, but you know, after 10 weeks is not okay. So a lot of people on the other side would say, well, that's, they're they're radical. So I, I think a lot of it depends on how you phrase the question. And first, of all, I have to address what she said. There's no such thing as consensual rape. Let's just get that off the table. Um, Nobody, we don't believe that. I don't know anybody that believes that. I, 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 you know, that's just a ridiculous thing. If someone said that, then they should be held accountable for those comments. I think
0: and, it was a state rep from G- Cape Girardeau that she was alluding to, and, and I
2: think that they they addressed that on the floor. But we don't believe that, right? Like, I, I don't know anybody who who agrees with that. So take that off the table. But as far as the, you know, this this range, you know, seriously, like a, a lot of people I touch, to, they well, I'm pro-choice, but past. 12 weeks or 10 weeks it's not okay well what does that you know and then someone else will say well i'm pro-life um but anything past 12 weeks isn't okay so a lot of it is how they self-identify and there's definitely a sliver of people that that's their that's their single issue on both sides that is their issue um i don't think that's the majority of people i think if you have an r behind your name and you're on the ballot they expect you to be pro-life i i know in my area they're just sort of like, well that's not a really an issue we want to talk about. We want to know what you're going what you're going to do down there in terms of our schools, crime, those sort of things. But if you're if you're a Republican, I think they assume that you're pro-life and if you're a Democrat, they tend to assume you're not.
0: Right. Well, let's keep talking about St. Louis County, where you're from, mm-hmm. in a more general sense because again, one of the other not so bright spots in 2018 was just the Republican performance there. I think Claire McCaskill won St. Louis County by over 100,000 votes. Um I don't think like there were any seats that flipped beyond the Mark Matheson seat, which also included St. Charles, but I I don't think it's really healthy for the party to be losing by that large of a margin and expect like the margins in the rural areas and places like St. Charles, Jeffco, Cass County, Buchanan County to last
2: forever. No, you're you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. St. Louis County is very important. I I think that I had something to do with how I ended up in this job is because I understand the voters there. I mean, I live there. Um, I think that the opposition, well, first of all, uh, the McCaskill campaign was very concentrated in the suburban areas, particularly in St. Louis County. I can tell you it was difficult even to capture Google words because they were all captured by the (laughs) McCaskill campaign. She was helping. They, they got state reps to run even in places where they knew they didn't have a chance because they felt like it helped their get out the vote efforts. She was super focused in the, in the County. And our Information indicates that um, the the enthusiasm for Democrats sort of peaked in late October and has come back down a little bit since then. And Mark Matisse's seat was a seat that was already a D seat. But, right. Yeah. And
0: he actually did pretty well He's even great. though he lost. He was
2: a great candidate. Um,
0: I, I want to make that clear. Like, he didn't get blown out. No,
2: it was less than 100 votes. Yeah. So it, was, it was a very small margin. And um, and and I will say that I don't think there was a ton of enthusiasm in St. Louis County up For the top of the ticket like there was in the rural areas um i think you will see more enthusiasm with parson Mm -hmm. just because i think people really like him he's a really good guy and they like how he's righted righted the ship and that's not a knock on holly it's just in the suburbs there is more of um, there's not as much excitement about trump in general and they they like people who kind of speak to both sides the one thing you hear so much from suburban women and even the polling indicates this, they want us to get along, they want us to work together, and we have a governor right now who works with both sides. And they they don't like the obstructionism, and they don't like it on either side. So if you're someone who comes and talks about working together and has shown that you will work together as opposed to saying, well, I'm going to fight this and fight that, you're going to win over more suburban voters. And
0: this may be like a myopic question, but one thing I noticed too was um, from county government level. And maybe it's my own because I cover county government so much. There was this big Democratic primary for county executive that was very close. And I, I say this with all due respect to Paul Barry, the third who I like personally, but he didn't spend a lot of money and he didn't have nearly as vigorous of a campaign as Rick Stream did in 2014. Yeah. So now it's a rare situation where there's going to be a county executive election in 2020. Sam Page may or may not still have a honeymoon, like all the Republicans on the council love Sandpage right now. Um, it could go in a lot of different directions. And asking you this question now is kind of perilous because we don't know what's gonna mm-hmm. it's going to be like. But do you think it may help your effort in St. Louis County to have a strong candidate for county executive, to support candidates for county council like the special election that's going on yeah. in a, in a few weeks, and also to like provide some monetary and organizational support for that, those sort of things, too.
2: Yeah. So, I, I mean, financially, I don't know how much we'll, we'll be involved, but obviously those races are really important. And I think part of what you're seeing in St. Louis County is just a dissatisfaction what what has been years of democratic rule, both in the city in terms of the crime and then in the county in terms of corruption and feeling like the, the government needs to be more accountable. And when You have those kind of waves where people want to change, and so it becomes a change election. Will that last until the next actual election? I don't know, because the numbers are are stacked against us in St. Louis County. There's no doubt about it.
0: It's very, I mean, the fact that Rick Stream came that close was a quasi-miracle. He he
2: actually, and he's a great candidate. Um, We didn't get the turnout we needed in certain Republican districts, or we would have won that and be a different world right now. We would have,
0: I mean, I'm going to be generous because I don't want to wish ill on soon-to-be-incarcerated former County Executive Steve Stanger. But I do think we would have avoided a lot of the drama had Rick Stream been there. Yes. He may have been a defeat—I mean, frankly, if he would have been— if he would—we're getting into very hypothetical territory here. If he would have won in 14, I think the chances of him winning re-election based off the McCaskill numbers would have been pretty low. And he probably Mm -hmm. would have lost re-election, but he may not have. He may have been such a unifying force and, like, such a good government person that— he may have been able to eke it out, but I don't think we would have had what we had in the last six months had he
2: won. Yeah, well, we we said that about the, you know, we said that about a lot of things, I, mm-hmm. I guess I should say. But it's, you know, um, it is what it is, as yeah. they say, and we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, we need a good candidate to run on the Republican side. There is a feeling that it's it's a lot of work, and the numbers are stacked against you. So how do you combat that? I know at one time Shamed Doğan was looking at that. I think he would be a fantastic candidate. Um, but uh, we have to see if somebody steps up and they want to take on that challenge, I think there's a great opportunity.
0: The last topic I want to touch on is one race that will have national kind of watch, and that's the 2nd Congressional District. And the last time that Ann Wagner ran against Court Van Ostren, um, the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, was kind of making noise that they may get involved, like like running third-party ads and helping them. I don't think they did to a really significant level like they did for like Mike Bost and... Um, Rodney Davis. And what I even told court was, if you don't have that third party money behind you, it's very difficult to win, especially in a Republican district like the second. Yet, you know, he came reasonably close given that reality and also the reality that it's still a Republican district, even with kind of the shift. I do think I've been getting emails like every other day from the DCCC saying like how bad Ann Wagner is. And it really gives a sense to me that They're willing to come in and pour money to help the Democratic candidate. I'm not saying Ann Wagner's bad. I'm just I'm the messenger here. Right. Do you think so? What do you what do you think is going to happen in that? I I think
2: that if they're if they're being honest, you know, McCaskill had a huge turnout effort and it was very successful. Like I said, I mean, she she captured 55 percent of the vote in my district. Which has been a traditionally red district for years. It's never been a Democrat district. That
0: was Andrew Koenig's house district, right? Yeah. Right. right. So, no, so not I mean, not exactly a, a liberal. Uh, no, I know
2: not at <laughs> all. So her turnout model was very effective, particularly in the counties. And she so without that race, I don't know. I mean, at the top of the ticket we're going to have Donald Trump, who's going to turn out our voters. So I don't know if they if they want to spend the money there, you know, I I don't think it would be wise of them because. Um, the fact that she survived that onslaught with Claire uh, in what was a very bad year, kind of to me, she's tough line, right? Like, give up. You're not going to beat her. Save well, your money. Plus, she's going to raise a lot of money. Like- she's already raised a ton of money. She's a great fundraiser, and she's worked. She was, today, she was at the chamber in St. Louis. I mean, she's everywhere in the district, and uh, she does a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't know about with nonprofits and working to help make sure that resources are there. And... Her staff is great, so whenever I was out door knocking, anyone who had ever had a contact with her staff was very happy with that, and that constituent services over the years really starts to add up because people feel a loyalty, mm-hmm. and then they tell their neighbors. Because if you have a personal experience with her office and it helped you or your your father or your sister or whatever to get some sort of resources that you need, you remember that and you tell people, and she's built up a legacy of that in the district, and I ran into it everywhere when I was door knocking.
0: Um- do you think that if the Democrats get involved in pouring money in that race, would the Republicans follow suit, or do you think that since Ann Wagner is such a good fundraiser, they may not like pouring money to help her? Like, I know it's good to be a good fundraiser, but I guess it's a double-edged sword. No, basically. I wouldn't say
2: so. Yeah, no. Not. With fundraising, the more you raise, the more you raise, right? Yeah. And so she had the opportunity to capture some outside money last time, and she told him she didn't need it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that they would. You know, she's a valuable, valuable member of Congress. So I think if If the resources are needed, they will be there. But, yeah, she's going to raise money. There will be some outside groups that probably support her if she needs it. Um, But I don't – I mean, I can't fathom a situation that's any more favorable for the Democrats than it was in 2018, and she still won. So – we're not taking it for granted. It's a big focus of the party, but I will tell you, I, I think she's going to win. I think she does a great job.
0: Well, we'll have to see how the 2020 election cycle turns out. It's going to be a very active one in St. Louis County and throughout the state. I know you'll be right in the thick of it. So I, I'm excited. I, it's, it's going to be an exciting time. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you or the Missouri Republican Party on any other parts of the World Wide Web?
2: So we are at Missouri.gop, and I am at Mo Rep Evans on Twitter. I don't know how to change that. So I still have the rep part on my Twitter account, but sometime I'll figure out how to do that.
0: Well, I mean, Tim Jones is still Speaker, speaker Tim Jones. He'll always be Speaker Tim He'll Jones. He'll always be Speaker to a lot of people. <laughs> Until next time, so long.